what's all that fud around the, the debt ceiling? You're going crazy about it for days, and now suddenly it's a, it's a nothing burger. What do you have to say? I'm Danish? the one that broke you, it. You want to say, yeah, exactly. You want to say, but before you broke it, man, uh, you want to say Robert Wolf was right again? No, dude, Robert Wolf is never right. Our boy, I just try to like, our give him boy, Robert Wolf. He's... I wanted to invite him to this space, but he didn't accept because there's no no competitor to Biden. That's my guess. Um, all right, let me get the invites out. Andrew, it's good to, to see you again. How are you? Hey, Mario. Great to be here. Hey, everyone. I have a question for you, Andrew. Oh, yeah. Fire away. So here Why are you here on a Sunday? Everything's okay? Uh, well, because I'm chilling with the family. Uh, they're out. So it was me watching the Mets lose. And I thought... Why not opine as to who the heck the next president's going to be? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a better better way, better way to spend your time. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Aaron. How are you? Good to see you as well. I'm going to start sending out the invites. Uh, give us a couple of minutes, and and while I'm sending out the invites, Sully, do you want to give us a quick update on yesterday's space? I know it crashed, glitching, and all that. People getting kicked off. Um, but what was yesterday's story, and what's the conclusion from the very short space that we did? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, yeah, hi, everyone. Uh, yesterday's space was about um, it was about censorship uh, related to COVID. And the focus was the United Kingdom because there were certain reports coming out from the United Kingdom in terms of government intervention and links to and the intervention through mediums such as Facebook, Meta and various other social media platforms. And also how, for example, the way the basically the government in the United Kingdom manipulated the public to ensure that basically there was fear mongering going on to ensure that they basically people took the vaccine as well as um, engaged or accepted the lockdowns. So that was yesterday's space, but unfortunately we did end early because there was issues with Twitter. I believe the reason for it is is because Elon Musk did say that he's stress testing the Twitter spaces for tomorrow's. Uh, um, space with uh, RFK Jr. Yeah. Um, and was there anyone making an argument that that uh, level of censorship was okay? Because I think everyone is, is going to be too chicken to make that argument. I had to say they're trying to make it because no one else was. Nobody was making that argument. Everyone's a chicken, Hardly. that's why. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Chicken, they, including they, you. And how did you balance it out? How did you balance it out if no one was making the argument? Um... I do not balance. My job is to speak the truth, so I ensure that I spoke oh, the bro. truth. <laughs> bro, okay, it's fucking ridiculous, man. You're turning on me now. That was ridiculous. He threw me under the bus. <laughs> Doesn't give a fuck. Um, all right, I've sent out all the invites. Um, let's kick it off. So so I've got a question for, for Andrew, and I'm sure that... Uh, let me get Sarah up. Let me get Seb. Good to see Mr. Gorka. Um, all right. I'm going to kick it off with a question. Danish and, and Sully will probably dominate the mic. But Andrew, my first question is, um, it's a very broad one. Uh, we had a speaker I was inviting, a special guest, and, and I'm not talking about Mr. Wolf. And he said, Mario, I'm not going to come on the space because there's really no Biden versus uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. It's just uh, Biden. And uh, and he did not want to give bring attention to this debate because there is no debate. Would you agree with that statement? Well, I would agree with it literally because there aren't going to be debates. <laughs> you know, so, point. So, if, so if that's the standard he's using, uh, you know, it's it's hard to argue. Um, so so here's the fundamental problem. Um, I think RFK Jr. is going to have uh, a big audience for the Twitter space. Uh, I hear he's going on Rogan, which is going to be an even bigger audience. Um, but the, there's a, a fundamental process problem in that the DNC has already essentially said no debates. Uh, and the other thing is that 69% of Democratic primary voters take their cues from the corporate media. And when you're talking about the corporate Democratic-facing media, you're talking about the holy trinity of New York Times, MSNBC, CNN. And so if you catalog the number of times that RFK has been favorably uh, included or featured in, in those three outlets, I'm going to guess it's, uh, you know, like less than the number of fingers I have on one hand. <laughs> it's just a guess. So if you have three dimensions to a campaign, um, one is your polling, which RFK is doing quite well in, objectively speaking. Two is fundraising. I don't know RFK's numbers, but I imagine that they, they are uh, uh, fairly robust. But then the third car 
is media, particularly in a Democratic primary, compounded by the fact that the DNC will not have debates. So you're going to see a lot of folks calling for debates. They'll be pointing at the polling numbers, but I doubt the DNC is going to be moved. Actually, it's probably the opposite. It's like the better RFK does, the lower uh, their likelihood to have a debate. So, Andrew, um, thanks for joining us. And just going on the polling, because a lot of people, when we've had them on stage, always minimize uh, RFK's impact in the forthcoming primaries. Uh, and when we when I reiterate the number of the how he's polling, people be surprised. So, for example, according to a recent polling from Big Village, he was polling at 19 percent. According to other polling, he's polling at 20 percent. So he's already polling decent numbers when he's not had the kind of limelight on the in the public. Where do you see that going going forth? He's going to be doing his announcement tomorrow. He's going to be you know engaging in a lot more uh, media in appearances. So do you think that's going to increase or do you think that's just going to stagnate? Well, uh, I'd expect his numbers uh, to stay at that level or go up um, would be my expectation. I think right now he has uh, a lot of positive name ID among um, older voters because his name is literally RFK Jr. And you're going to have signs saying Kennedy Democrats. And if you ask uh, a, a primary voter, it's like, hey, who are you going to vote for? And they see the name Robert Kennedy. There's, like, there's a strong um, dose of affection uh, and history and even loyalty among some people. Um, and I, I think he's an effective messenger and that when people see his stuff, uh, a lot of people will be very drawn to it. Again, the the problem for anyone who's challenging Biden in the Democratic lane this time is that his numbers could go up and the the media would not change their treatment of him, in my opinion. If anything, you would see more negative stories coming out if he seemed uh, like a more serious contender. Um, the other complicating factor here is that if you look at the states that will vote first, there's this total mess going on in New Hampshire, where New Hampshire has a law saying that they have to go first. By the way, RFK does very, very well in New Hampshire. Um, but... Biden and the DNC have said that uh, South Carolina will go first and that if New Hampshire goes first, that they'll be breaking uh, DNC rules and will be penalized. Now, it turns out that the Democrats of New Hampshire actually have no control over when they hold their primary because Republicans control the state legislature. So you could have a primary happen next year in New Hampshire that RFK does very well in that the Biden campaign will literally say we did not compete Uh, The president didn't campaign there, and we essentially were pretending that primary doesn't happen. I think the odds of that happening are moderately high. Um, Andrew, another question I had is, um, and how is this going to play? Because remember, he's not in the national elections. uh, And so the the question I had is, it's not about specific policy, because we are going to go into specific policy issues later. But we know he's basically, he's on the Democrat side. He's gone on the Democrat ticket. He's more... On, he's left-leaning on a number of issues. Um, but then there's a couple of issues that maybe he isn't as much on. One of them is his uh, statements against the deep state. Now, one would say that's a cl- classical liberal position. And the other one is obviously his anti-COVID positions. How is that going to play out specifically in the Democratic primary? Because I'm... What, the reason I'm well, here's question, where... Sorry, go ahead. Because the reason I'm asking... Because I'm going to get... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Now, the reason I'm asking no. the question is because that will work on the national stage because he might bring people from the right in to vote for him. But in the specifically the Democratic primary, how would that work? Yeah, so so this is the, the problem. There, there are uh, a few different audiences, and he's actually going to be shaped in part by the nature of the media that he gets. Um, so because of uh, his uh, stance on the vaccine in particular, Um, The holy trinity of Democrat-facing media, MSNBC, CNN, and New York Times, I believe, will not um, ever feature him favorably. Uh, And I don't see that changing. Um, And so uh, he's going to then, like, if you're Fox, will you have him on all day long? Yes, you will. Fox has a very big audience. Do Democratic primary voters watch Fox? Yes, they do. You know, like, you actually read some Democrats that way. So what's going to happen is he's going to go on everything but the Democratic-facing media. He's going to get more and more support from people who aren't traditional Democratic primary voters. Uh, his numbers are probably going to, to rise as a result. But then when the rubber hits the road and the Democratic primary happens, 
um, they're going to act like he, he's a non-factor. He could uh, do really well in New Hampshire and everyone will be like, that's not a real primary. Um, he could put up great numbers in, let's say, South Carolina. And if he loses by one point, they'll act like he lost by 60. Um, so the, the, the press will shape the Democratic primary in a particular way. Uh, and if you look at the numbers uh, in terms of different uh, partisans' reactions to, to media, the Democratic primary voters are essentially the last of the institutionalists. I said 69% of them trust corporate media. You go to Republicans, that goes down to 15%. You look at independents, it's about 38%. So the Democratic primary voters need what's called a permission structure to vote for someone. And the permission structure has to come from their media. Uh, so, Andrew, uh, I want to ask you about the Democrat primaries, because uh, we saw back in 2016, uh, there was a lot of a lot of attention going around uh, with Hillary Clinton and then you know other candidates uh, that were calling the process rigged. Right. That there was no way that anybody but Hillary Clinton was going to win that primary. Uh, it, does that sort of ring true with you? Do you feel like, you know, because you, you're talking delegates and then you have super delegates, uh, which essentially, you know, pick the uh the nominee no yeah so if, if you remember the hillary bernie dynamic the dnc sandbag bernie uh, but the narrative the entire time was that hillary is unbeatable and inevitable uh and this time the the narrative is there is no debate joe biden our president will be the democratic nominee and anyone else who runs we're going to pretend they don't exist uh and that that's a much more extreme version than anything that happened in 2016 because you know, they, they couldn't pretend that Bernie didn't exist. And also Hillary wasn't the incumbent. Um, they just kind of acted like she was. So th this is going to be a much, much uh, like more egregious version of anything you saw in 2016. But but, but Andrew, this is Donish. Just a, 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 a follow up to that. To play devil's advocate, it's very rare for an incumbent to go through a primary. Isn't that correct? I mean, we don't really see that in general politics and we haven't seen that over the course of the last few elections. So why why should there be an expectation for there to be a primary for an incumbent? Yeah, and, and this is a very important fundamental question. Um, so if you look at the last number of cycles, you're right. When Trump was the incumbent last time, he actually did draw a number of challengers, including uh, former Governor William Weld and Joe Walsh. Now, you don't remember that because the Republican Party just pulled the plug on their primaries entirely. They didn't even pretend. Um, they just said, hey, guess what? No primaries are happening. Um, and so the, the cycle before, there was no incumbent. In 2012, uh, Barack Obama was running as the incumbent, and Bernie Sanders head faked that he was going to primary him. And then a bunch of people reached out to Bernie and sat him down and said, um, hey, don't do it. <laughs> and, and, and what do we have to do for you not to do it? Um, and everyone cites the earlier example of... Uh, Jimmy Carter getting primaried by Ted Kennedy. Uh, but at that point, Jimmy Carter was the incumbent and Ted Kennedy said, hey, I'm going to run against you. But it wasn't like the DNC said, nope, can't do it. Like, you know, there's no process. And it could be that Ted Kennedy was a sitting senator, very important. Um, this was a long time ago. This was in 1980. Um, but then since that, uh, that loss by Carter to Reagan in the general the conventional wisdom has been, hey, if you draw a very strong challenge from within your party, you lose in the general. Now, the DNC has a couple of choices in this situation. Choice number one is what they're doing, which is like, hey, Joe's our incumbent. There is no primary. Tough luck, everyone else. By the way, the scuttlebutt has been that there are a bunch of establishment folks that were considering challenging him, i.e. Gavin Newsom of California. And the DNC reached out to them and said, hey, don't do it. And if you don't do it, then, you know, maybe there's some things we can do for you, blah, blah, blah. If one of those figures uh, decided to challenge Joe, then I think you can't you can't ignore it. Like if Governor Whitmer in Michigan raised her hand tomorrow, had a press conference, said, hey, I'm running against Joe, then you probably have to go through with it. Um, but they've gotten to everyone who's within the establishment and said, uh, don't do it. It's professionally career ending if you do do it. Uh, and so that's path number one, the path they're taking. Path number two would be to have a genuine process, say, look, let the now, uh, by the way, I, I'm, I'm here in part because I was on the record saying I think that Joe Biden should uh, do a George Washington, be a statesman, not a 
politician and say, uh, like, I did my job uh, getting Trump out. Like, now it's time for the next generation. Let's have a robust process. And then the Democrats have everyone run. Um, that, to me, would be a much better way to go. But, Andrew, um, you just made the argument against that. You made the argument that Jimmy Carter got weakened by his primary. And so we already have a president, a presidential candidate. And I, you know, I'm showing my my uh, Democratic leanings. But we already have a, a president that has had a ton of legislative wins that may not be great in an election. And so wouldn't it make sense at this point to, to spare the primary so, you know, you don't get death by a thousand cuts before you enter uh, a prop, what seems to be shaping up as a pretty j- challenging general. Well, again, th- this is the other choice. Um, so the, the example I just drew where I said Joe Biden should be a statesman and step aside. I do not think Joe Biden is the right fit in 2024. He'll be 82 years old at the end of 24. The vast majority of uh, Americans and even Democratic uh, primary voters are concerned about his age. Um, he put up a number of wins and he could go out like a hero on top if he said, let's have a process. And then you have Governor Whitmer, Governor Newsom, Governor Pritzker, Governor Murphy, Governor Cooper, etc., all run. And then you coalesce around that person. Uh, I think that's a stronger path um, than trying to ride Joe again. Now, this is just me speaking like, uh, you know, honestly, like I just don't think Joe is the right approach. If you decide that Joe is the, the right approach, then you have a very legitimate um, you know, decision on your hands. Uh, and like I, I said months ago, I was like, look, if Joe runs again, they're not going to have a series of debates because the last thing they want to do is have their uh, you know, 80, 81-year-old uh, incumbent debating uh, Marion Williamson and RFK like five times. Like That's just not going to happen. Andrew, before, um, before I ask you another question, I just want to give a shout out. Dave Smith, uh, I know you've interviewed RFK, so I really appreciate you coming on and we're going to have a, a list of questions for you as well. So uh, good to have you. I think it's the first time on, on the stage, Dave. Is that correct? Yes, it is my first time. Happy to be here. Pleasure to have you, man. Thank you so much. Um, Andrew, I'm just going to ask you two, two other quick questions. Sorry to interrupt, Danish, uh, before we go to, to Dave. Uh, the first one is is going back to the to the to the vaccine. Um, you've been critical, you know. You said at one stage you were disappointed in RFK's um, stance on vaccines in 2022 to the New York Times. You said that um, uh, RFK's statements are a quote a threat to public health, and that quote he cannot in good conscience. Yeah, you're mistaking me for someone else. I've never said any of those things, but continue. Oh shit! All right, I take it all back. Um, so then, my question though. Man, Sully, that's why you take a jab at me for using chat GPT. Do you want to do it, Sully? <laughs> I mean, well, it's, it's kind of, it's run all now, hasn't it? Everyone knows it's <laughs> Mario GPT. Right. But Andrew, my, my question though is, is still, it still stands. Um, do you, th- how much of an impact do you think um, Robert's stance or, or, or RFK's stance will have on vaccines will have on his uh, chances for becoming the, uh, the Democratic nominee? Um, especially as we've seen, the, the public opinion shift over the last couple of years um, on, on people's stances on vaccines and COVID lockdowns, etc. So we'd love to get your thoughts on this one. And then the second question, I'll put them both together. Uh, second question is, who do you think will fare better debating Trump? And I know it's an easy question, but how do you think RFK will perform in, in a debate with Trump? And, and how do you think um, Biden would? Yeah, so um, I, I think we're all assuming that Trump is the front runner in the uh, Republican field, which he is. <clears throat> so I, I referred to it earlier. Uh, I think that his uh, stance on vaccines um, greatly enhances his populist popular appeal um, and his anti-establishment appeal, um, which I think is driving a lot of the enthusiasm and energy, including among Democrats, because there are a lot of Democrats who uh, were ticked off at what you'd call something of like a uh, like a homogeneous, uniform, uh, lockstep uh, set of messaging uh, on vaccines. The big problem for RFK is that um, his stance on vaccines makes him anathema to New York Times, MSNBC, CNN, and a certain body uh, of media organizations that are going to control what uh, two-thirds of Democratic primary voters see and don't see or think and don't think. And when I say see and don't see, it's like they're just going to pretend he doesn't exist. Or if they do mention him, the, the entire uh, headline is going to say like vaccine skeptic or anti-vax or whatever the heck the thing is. 
Um, and, and so it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Uh, I, I think that he's speaking for a lot of uh, Americans of every political stripe, uh, and he's energizing a lot of them because uh, of his stance. But I, I think it's just like beyond the pale for most of the major media orgs. The only follow-up on vaccines really quick, Andrew, was, you know, while there is a contingent of the Democratic Party that has significant concerns around the safety and efficacy and rollout of the COVID vaccine, I think the large majority of the Democratic Party believes that MMR vaccine does not lead to autism. In fact, when you look at those specific stances around prior vaccines, uh, pre-COVID, the large majority of them don't think that, and a lot of them are not aware that that is RFK stance. What are your thoughts as more information comes out about his stance on vaccines in general, that there might be some pushback that comes? No, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. And when I said that, that there's some subset of Democratic voters who are sympathetic to uh, his messaging, I don't think it's a majority. Um, uh, and I think some are sympathetic to some aspects of what he's saying, but might disagree with uh, with the specifics, including what you just stated. Yeah. I, I, you dropped out, Sully. Uh, Sully dropped out. Andrew. Um, oh, sorry. Are you there? You good now? Yeah, yeah, you can go there. Uh, cool, cool. Yeah, I've, no, I've got a question for Dave, um, if you don't mind, Sully. Andrew, I'm just going to ask a question for Dave, because Dave, you've interviewed uh, RFK. So, so before we ask you a few specific questions, general thoughts, how did the interview go? Um, and and uh, your thoughts on RFK's stances and, and his chances of becoming the Democratic nominee? Well, um, I'll say, yeah, I was impressed with the guy. And one thing that's kind of nice about RFK, and this, this is almost kind of separate from where you fall on any of these issues. RFK, when, when you ask him a question about any given subject, you get the feeling that he's read a book about it before. And that itself kind of separates him from like, like Donald Trump, you just kind of get the feeling that like he saw a Hannity episode about it and made up his mind. And Joe Biden, you kind of get the impression that he is reading the words that are written down in front of him and is not aware that the words are connected to other words in that sentence. And so like that alone is kind of refreshing. Um, I, I, I was impressed that he really seemed like even with the stuff with, you know, like, say, the MMR vaccine leading to autism, which I think I'm, I'm certainly not convinced that's the case. But the guy's like not only read books about it, he's written multiple books about it. He's got like a well thought out opinion, agree or disagree with him. So there's something impressive about the guy. Um, and I think that his campaign is in, just in, fascinating in a lot of ways. I, the really the only parallel I could think of is the Ron Paul campaigns in 2008 and 2012, mm, where you have a guy who, who's running against, he is 180 degrees opposite to his party on their biggest issues. You know, like where Ron Paul was compared to where George W. Bush was on, on the wars. And he, if you think about the COVID vaccine and the war in Ukraine. These have been the two biggest policies that the Democratic establishment has been pushing. And he has 180 degrees opposed to them. And what's really interesting about campaigns like this is it's kind of a, a measuring stick. Robert, so not sure if that plays a role in it. Let me get the invite quickly out. I had a good question ready for uh, Dave. Hopefully he joins again. He should. Hey, Aaron is here. Hey, Aaron, can you hear me? Oh, Dave is there. Dave is, is good. Dave, can you hear me? Yes, I hear you. Did, did yeah, I yeah, go ahead. Continue. Yeah, yeah, no, it is broke Twitter. No, so so they're doing tests as they prepare for tomorrow's space with uh, Mr. Kennedy mm -hmm. uh, and and Elon and, and David Sachs. So it's kind of, they said that you know expect a few glitches here and there, and we saw that yesterday. Oh, yesterday we oh, saw a lot of people getting kicked off. the deep there and it crashed. <laughs> right, you gotta stop that, bro. You gotta stop that. But yeah, so Dave, I'll let you do what you're saying if you remember what you're saying, uh, and then I'll ask this next follow-up question. And my next, I'll, I'll prepare the next follow-up question so you can continue into it. Is that uh, debating Trump? Um, I just look. I, I've got concern. A Democrat should have a serious concern on on Biden debating Trump and Biden's performance against Trump. I, I just don't see how. 
it just it's it just hard to imagine Biden Biden winning considering uh, both of their, their 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 mental states. So, how do you think um, uh, RFK would perform if he was in a debate with Trump? It's a really interesting question, you know, and the the elephant in the room with RFK is that, you know, he's got real vocal issues and that, that's a real problem. I mean, it's a real problem to debate someone like Donald Trump with that. And it's a it's a it's a challenge to run for president, which after all, all is is a speaking tour, really. I mean, that's kind of the gig and it's challenging. And can you, can you I, tell the Dave, tell the audience what, what, what is the condition um, that RFK has? It's, it's, called, it's, it's spasmodic dysphoria, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, so go ahead. It, it, from, well, from I'm, I'm no expert in it, but from what I understand, it's a neurological condition, something between the the brain connectivity to uh, the the vocal cord, or the uh, so I, I don't know. And he has kind of better days and worse days with it. Now, I will say, doing uh, an hour long podcast with him you kind of start to forget about it and you're just listening to the points that the guy's making. That's a very different format than doing a, a, you get a minute, I get a minute who can land the bigger blow, which is what debating Donald Trump turns into. So I think that would be a challenge for him. What's interesting about RFK is that he has angles against Donald Trump that Joe Biden doesn't have. Um, He can challenge him on operation warp speed where he is much more vulnerable to his own base Whereas Joe Biden can't really hit him for that because Joe Biden's the one who wanted to mandate the thing, you know. So there's there just be it'd be a very interesting dynamic. Now look, it's still it's a it's a long shot for RFK to beat Joe Biden. It's a long shot to beat the sitting president who has the entire DNC and the entire establishment behind him. But no matter what happens in this, it's just going to be to me. It's just very interesting to almost have a referendum within the Democratic Party about where exactly they stand on, on the COVID vaccine and where exactly they stand on the war in Ukraine. I think those those things alone are very valuable to me. Uh, before going to the war in Ukraine, uh, just another general question, and we'll get into specifics, guys. I, mean, I really want to dig into the war in Ukraine and, and uh, Mr. Kennedy's stance there. But the um, what would you say are your, are your biggest points of concern, the biggest weaknesses? You talked about the, the, the condition, um, the vocal condition um, that could be an issue, especially in debates. Uh, beyond that, Dave, um, is there any specific concerns or stances that could uh, make it difficult for Robert to become the nominee? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, again, I, I don't exactly know. I mean, yeah, look, his stance on the, on the COVID vaccine, there certainly are a lot of Democratic voters who were taking quite a different stance at least two years ago, probably even one year ago. I think it's not as difficult for them um, today. Uh, if you look at the numbers, I mean, the people, the amount of people who got the initial double jab, and of course, many of whom were coerced into doing so at the threat of losing their livelihood. Um, but it was something like 70% of the adult population. But then when it's, it comes to getting boosted after that, the numbers are like half of that. And then being up to date with your boosters, the numbers are way less than that. So it's kind of hard to say exactly how much of a problem that position is within a Democratic primary. I guess we're going to find out. Um, a lot of his other policies that even things that I disagree with or have a problem with, I think are pretty standard liberal Democrat policies. So again, it, it's just going to be very interesting. I don't, I don't see the, the truth is that they, they know. And I think, uh, uh, Andrew Yang was kind of getting at this before. I think they know that in a, in a fair fight, if they were to have honest debates and have a, a, like an honest primary season, there's he has tremendous advantages over Joe Biden. Um, d- um, Dave, one question I had is... before I ask your question, I want that same question I asked. Let me get the audience's thoughts. I want everyone in the audience. Do you think um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. would perform well debating Trump? And be honest. Try not to have your biases. Uh, dictate your your answer. And I'm going to go through the comments to see what everyone thinks. I might do a poll as well. But go ahead, Simon. Yeah, sure. So, um, um, Dave, so one question I had was we saw and, and the question is linked to what the statement you made earlier. So in the Democratic pr- primary, do you think he's even going to get an opportunity, a fair chance? And the reason I asked that question is we saw when there was actually even a primary in 2016 and 2020, what happened to Bernie Sanders what and um, what they did to him in terms of the whole Bernie bros uh, and so on and so forth. So do you think that in this situation in 2024, he's even going to get a fair chance? 
Oh, it is a 100% guarantee that he will not get a fair chance. There's no question about this. I mean, the DNC rigged the election against Bernie Sanders in 2016. In 2020, they had uh, all of Joe Biden's competition drop out and endorse him before uh, Super Tuesday and made sure Elizabeth Warren stayed in to challenge him. Joe Biden had his campaign team get four former heads of the CIA and 50 different intelligence officials to swear up and down that Hunter Biden's laptop was uh, had all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. You know, it's really funny. And, and, and for all the like talk about how Donald Trump tried to steal the election, the Democratic establishment tries to steal every single election. There is 0.0002 infinity percent chance that this will be a fair process. The question is, how much can they rig it this time? Like, we're living in a very different world. Even, you know, as I was listening to Andrew Yang a few minutes ago say, like, well, he's going to get blacked out of MSNBC and CNN or he won't get fair coverage there. It's like, yeah, OK, but more people will probably listen to this than listen to any show on there. So the question now is, like, does he go on Joe Rogan's podcast? Does he go on all these huge other platforms where he can shine where he's got a long form, you know, platform to really dig into these issues. What how much of an effect does that have? To me, that's the only question. I bet every dollar I have that the DNC will not give him a legitimate fair uh, process. I, I And Dave, just to add to that, I mean, I completely agree with you. And it's going to be up to him and his team to be smart and to ensure that they get engagement, come onto these bigger platforms because he is going to be shut out by the mainstream media. So I agree with you. But let me, uh, Dr. Danish, you got a question for you. So go ahead. Yeah, Dave, uh, it's Danish. Just wanted to follow up uh, a little bit on the commentary that you were making before the space crash. Uh, I, I love the, the way that you explained. I never put two and two together and I never made the connection between him and Ron Paul and how he was super anti-war when, when others weren't, when he was, uh, you know, and all of those connections. Ron Paul never won. And so now, you know, are, are you saying, and I know... How close, how, what, what were his numbers? Adanish, what were his numbers? What were Ron Paul's numbers? Ron Paul, uh, his father. Ron Paul, sorry. Um, uh, the, 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 he never got above 20% of the vote. Yeah, and that's... so, was it just a different time? Dave, is well, that your argument, that it was just a different time and a different media landscape? Well, it, I mean, it's just factually true that it was a different time and a completely different landscape. And back at that time, a blackout on CNN was much more devastating for a presidential campaign than it is today. There just certain, certain there just weren't the other alternative platforms. But, you know, another way to look at this is that and just the, the parallel that I was drawing was just that at the time when George W. Bush, the Republican president, is saying you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. Ron Paul is coming out and saying, well, actually, it's the U.S. military that kind of started this fight. And actually, our foreign policy is what provoked Osama bin Laden and, and created all this hatred. It's just the most polar opposite thing from what his establishment is saying. And, and I see a similarity uh, in that to RFK saying this, vac that, this vaccine that you guys are mandating is actually harming people and not helping them at all. And the war in Ukraine is not being fought for all of the reasons that you claim. Now, you could look at it like this. Ron Paul comes along in 2008 and 2012 and is in some ways a measuring stick for how OK is it to say this in a Republican primary? And no, he didn't win, but he did get millions of people to vote for him. He did break all types of fundraising records and he did generate tremendous enthusiasm. And then the next presidential nominee, Donald Trump, stood up there and ran and won on the anti-war position. Now, he didn't follow through on that perfectly, but he won on the position that we should end these wars. So you could theoretically, you know, you could I, I think those two things are related. Like, I don't I think there was a, a contribution to that. The, the major yeah. difference is that you're, you're talking about Republican primary voters and Democratic primary voters and just different populations. A Democratic primary electorate is going to be uh, vast, vast majority or not vast majority, but majority uh, college educated or, or aligned, uh, you know, still middle aged uh, is going to be the bulk of it. Um, and the permission structure is just different in the Democratic Party versus the Republican Party. I mean, you saw it with Trump's victory in 2016, where Trump's like, yeah, you know, whatever your bullshit orthodoxy is on like trade or uh, like military 
interventions, like, fuck that shit. Like, I'm just going to say what I think and what everyone's actually thinking. And I was like, yeah, um, you know, it, it's just a different environment on the Democratic side. Uh, and it's a different relationship with the media. I mean, I, I think that uh, running now, you would try and obviously max out uh, like new platforms and space and podcasts. And the dominance of corporate media is fading every, uh, you know, month, quarter, whatever it is. Um, but when it was last measured, still 69% of Democrats have a high trust in corporate media. So let's say you shave a few points off that, you knock it down to like 65, 60 even. Um, you, you're, you still have like a, uh, like a very hard shell uh, around a certain body, probably a majority of Democratic primary voters. But yeah. Andrew, the challenge. So can, sorry, go ahead, Dave. No, well, so I don't necessarily disagree with all of that. I mean, I'm I'm saying there's parallels between the two. I'm not equating them and saying that there's no differences. Th that's what's so interesting about RFK's uh, campaign is that it's kind of going to be a measuring stick. I mean, yes, you make some fair points. Also, at the same time, an 80-year-old socialist almost beat Hillary Clinton, and they kind of had to cheat in order to make sure he didn't. And, you you know, it's true that polls will show in the 60s uh, percentage uh, of, of Democratic voters trust the mainstream media. But what percentage of them actually watch it and listen to it? I mean, CNN can't crack a million viewers a night on any of their shows, you know? So it's just, um, again, I'm not saying you're right. There are differences between where the Republican base is at and where the Democratic base is at. But we're going to kind of find out with this RFK uh, campaign. And right now, considering the state of, of as you've mentioned before, the, the coverage or lack thereof or negative coverage he's getting from the corporate press, I mean, the poll numbers are pretty interesting. He's actually doing very good for someone who's mounting a, um, a primary campaign against a sitting president who's getting no corporate press attention or just negative attention, where they're censoring him and then telling you they did that because he was wrong. Um, it's pretty fascinating that he's doing so well. You know, one I, other... I, I, and Dave, you and I don't disagree, really. Like, I, I agree that there's, like, this... Um, these successive waves of anti-establishment uh, energy and, and candidates, and I think Bernie's a great example. Um, and, and the waves are just going to keep coming. Uh, and the question is, how high can the water level rise in any given cycle? Yep. So, um... I mean, and that's the question, isn't it? Because essentially you've got this anti-establishment sentiment on the right. And okay, this is getting annoying. Aaron, I want to go to you, but it, it, Andrew, there's a, is a narrative that hasn't stopped. That goes, Dave, you can answer that question as well. And Aaron, if you can touch on it as well. There's a narrative that is, is gaining a lot of steam and that's the anti-establishment. And this is something that Sully says in every freaking space. Anti-establishment plays everything on the, on the establishment. And it, you know, this is something that will benefit um, uh, uh, Robert and obviously benefits Trump. I want to get uh, my, my two questions. One's unrelated to, to RFK, and that's um, why do you think that narrative is gaining so much traction? And do you think that plays a role in RFK's popularity um, as a contender to, 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 to Joe Biden? Uh, so Andrew, it, Aaron? Yeah, yeah. It, and Aaron, I'll, I'll shut up and let you take this one if you want. Um, actually, let me just shut up. Aaron, go ahead. You can go ahead and take that one, Andrew. I had something else to say. But you're, like the guys, you're like the opposite of me and Sully. We like shut each other up because we both want to speak. <laughs> <All right. laughs> go so, ahead, Andrew. Yeah, I'll hit this one, then you can take it away, Aaron. So if you look at all of the Gallup polling on institutional trust, uh, it's just been declining very steadily over a multi-decade, even multi-generational period. And it's not just the presidency. Uh, it's uh, education, media, uh big business, healthcare, like you name it, our institutional trust uh, has declined across the board in just about all of these things. I think the most trusted institution in American life uh, right now is the military at above 50%. Um, uh, after that, it might be like librarians. Um, it's definitely well below 50% for the presidency. And so in that environment, uh, people are going to get more and more ticked off uh, and more and more drawn to anti-establishment appeals. Uh, and the Democratic Party is like the, the last of the institutionalists who are holding down the fort. There are some people that feel um, very, very. And by the way, like, you know, like I, I think I probably speak for a lot of people here. It's like I'm not reflexively anti-institution, you know, like I want institutions to be great, to perform great. Like but but it's frustrating to a lot of Americans where it's like when they do screw up, like there's this total <laughs> like like blotting out of the screw up that 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 makes us 
uh, lose trust. Uh, so that that's why we're all plugging into this is because like you know it, it's been building and building for for years and years. Erin. Yes, I can I can totally understand that. And I'd like to you know I want to be transparent that I've interviewed Bobby and we're in a lawsuit. You know I've joined a lawsuit um, to, or started a lawsuit to sue the media, which has been in the news, but not as much as you'd want because we're, that's not what I want to talk about. But um, because we're. Well, can I, can you tell me, Aaron, Can you tell me more about the uh, the lawsuit? Why are you suing the media? Um, it's that's less like music. I don't know what you can share, but that's music to Slaman's ears. Slaman's like on a vendetta against mainstream media, so he's probably going to join your lawsuit. He's a pretty rich guy, so he'll <laughs> okay. probably throw some money at it as well. That's ahead, awesome. No, I was just going to wanted to be, have be transparent about you know that, that I about knowing Bobby, but um, there are nine. I think nine of us. Um, is CHD may count as ten, but we're uh, suing mainstream. Uh, well, we're suing Associated Press, BBC, Reuters, and uh, Washington. Post, uh, it's an antitrust lawsuit, first of its kind, uh, because of collusion, uh, because they, uh, I mean, it's been in Twitter files for those who, who like, who believe in Twitter files, but they... oh, we've covered it heavily. We've covered it heavily here. Sure. Mario, yes. are you listening to us? Collusion by the mainstream media, including the BBC. Please continue. Man, we, I fucking, I covered it. I covered, uh, educate your horse. Do you just call me a horse, man? I, I covered this collusion um, and the collusion is very clear and it's been it's fascinating to see what happens behind the scenes hold on we covered it yesterday man in the uk uh, and the collusion when it came to lockdowns but aaron sorry we're taking the, yeah, the limelight right. from you sure and i well, thank you no i i just thought i would mention that but yes so we're we're suing them because it is in twitter files revealed and many other places uh the media would actually contact the social media platforms and uh say hey uh, if these there were the twelve of us named the so-called disinformation dozen, that would be uh, Bobby Kennedy, Joe, Dr. Mercola, me, and several others, including I see a few of the twelve listening. Uh, one of them just died, and before he died, he said he was intentionally poisoned, Dr. Rashid Buttar. But there were twelve of us that were named for sharing the most information about COVID and vaccines um, in in the world, and they they targeted the twelve of us. They re, they removed Bobby Kennedy, Bobby, me, and. Um, and Joe, Dr. Mercola, and one other on uh, YouTube removed our channels on the same day and changed the policy just to do so. And they're being sued too uh, separately. Yeah, Aaron, um, but this is, I think the, the, the sentiment shifting against mainstream media, and just to see their, their um, so Slayman is a lot more anti-media than I am. I'm anti-media, but in a very logical way. But just to see the, 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 the amount of trust they're hemorrhaging over the last few decades uh, that continues till today, and that goes both on the left and the right. Um, I don't see that to be, you know, before when you see mainstream media collude against a, a candidate, that's, a, that's a, it's, it's really hard to win when you have the media going against you. In today's age, um, he could even leverage it to his advantage, Aaron. Do, have, have you spoken to, Bobby about, uh, to Robert about this and um, uh, what, what's his stance on, on the media? Because I know his, his team is very critical and they, they get bothered every time the media takes things out of context. But are they using that anti-media narrative of that lack of trust in mainstream media to their advantage? I, I think um, I think so. I mean, he's been talked to us and we've done, you know, we've done interviews where he's been very clear on his feelings that the media isn't giving him a fair chance. I, I thought it was interesting that CNN actually did interview him and give him somewhat of a fair chance. But again, as somebody else pointed out, there's nobody there's nobody listening. Nobody's watching CNN. And what I was actually going to say is that we need to take into account that there are millions of Republicans and Trump fans who are going to be voting for Bobby Kennedy in the um, in the primary. So that's what isn't taken into account when we're talking about the 19 percent of Democrats. So that's really what I had wanted. I'd wanted to say because they they're such. Um, you know, they're, they're just very loyal fans of, of Bobby, even though in the I don't know what will happen in, if, if he were to win the primary, but they are they are voting for him. And that's that's been appallingly clear. I think out of the millions of, of followers that um, that CHD has, even though that's his nonprofit, they've removed all of them. For, you know, Facebook banned my several million followers. And, you know, and I think they removed all his his nonprofit. But there are millions of, of followers that he has there and, you know, millions on their mailing list. And so those people are primarily or started out as Trump fans. And some of them still say they'd vote for Trump in the Trump in the general election if he is, um, you know, the the not if they give him the, the Republican nominee. But they they're voting for Bobby in the primary. That's what I wanted to say. And I also think it's different than when Ron Paul was running, because now we have social media. Elon Musk is interviewing Bobby next week. 
and then um, so that, that tomorrow you're interviewing him tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow? okay. So well, yes, I, this week. Again, the, 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 I did the have a follow-up. Media narrative just works better on one side than the other. I mean, when you say that, it just sounds like fake news. And then if you're a Republican and you just rail against the media like DeSantis and Trump, it's a home run, uh, and everyone's doing it. Oh, so, you, so Andrew, it doesn't work as well. Yeah, it doesn't work on the left. That's interesting. And so, so I had a follow up for Andrew, actually, really quick. Can so, I just uh, put, jump in with one very quick thing? God damn. Uh, on that. Yeah. So the, the really interesting thing about this, though, Andrew, I think is how much has that changed? And, you know, part of the reason why the this happened uh, amongst Republican, uh, the Republican voting base is like, if you remember just, you know, uh, not that long ago, 15, 20 years ago, the Republicans were the ones who were the champions of the FBI and the CIA and the military in general. And they got burned really bad. I mean, they got lied into the war in Iraq and supported it with all of their might. They got lied into the 20 year catastrophe in Afghanistan and supported it with all of their might. And then they got burned burned and they realized and they really turned against the establishment. And the question now is, did COVID do the same thing to voters on the Democratic side? I mean, most of these voters live in the cities that suffered under the most draconian laws all for nothing. And that's the big question now moving forward. How much do they look at this and go, you know what? You guys absolutely lied to me about what this vaccine might do. You guys may not be exactly where RFK is on vaccines, but the truth is that the American people were told you would not get COVID and you could not spread COVID if you got this jab and we're forcing you to do it. And they were wrong about that. And the lockdowns destroyed people's lives and the school closures destroyed people's kids. And so the question is, where are the Democrats going to be moving forward? And this is a really interesting test for that. I just wanted to add that. And Dave, I had a question for you on that. Um, and it's linked to the points that you're making. We saw the mainstream media and it's something Aaron said about working together to basically destroy people or destroy candidates or minimize their impact. So a good example of that is when Musk took over Twitter, they all in cahoots used the same language, the same verbiage, you know, PR for the world's richest man. And Mario found it unfathomable that these people could do that. Um, but essentially, you've seen them work together on that. You've seen them work together on, for example, taking out Andrew Tate and never having a positive article. You saw them doing the same thing to uh, uh, Kennedy which is essentially not allowing any kind of positive press in the mainstream media. So with someone like, let's say, Andrew Tate, he has charisma. He can he can engage in alternative media. With Kennedy, he doesn't have the same level of charisma. And so therefore, do you think that he's going to have to up his ante on the level of engagement he has on alternative media, such as, for example, your platform, maybe other YouTube channels, maybe on t- larger Twitter spaces, maybe on Rumble, various other mediums. So Podcasts like Aaron, Aaron and Dave, platforms like Aaron's and Dave's. Um, as yeah, well. yeah, I said, I said, I said Dave's. Yeah, I said that, Mario. Uh, but, uh, sorry, Dave, so I love that. I love well, it, it certainly seems like that se- that's his game plan, right? I mean, he's coming, he's doing the podcast, he's doing this big Twitter space tomorrow. I have a feeling that's going to garner a, an incredible amount of attention. Now, in, in terms of, you know, you you have to be authentic to who you are. Um, he's not Andrew Tate. He's not Donald Trump. But there is something about him. Um, and he does have... Uh, there's an energy about him that, you know, he's a Kennedy that still holds some cachet and particularly amongst Democrats and older Democrats even. And he's not like one of these like peripheral Kennedys, like he married a cousin and took the name or something, you know, like he's Bobby Kennedy's kid. And I think that still holds some weight to it. But I think he has to be who he is. And I think that the long form um, in-depth conversations that are not like what the mainstream, you know, corporate press has typically been where it's kind of like these very quick bullet point interviews. I think that's where he shines. And so I think that's his, his advantage. You know, uh, something you said, Dave earlier, which was that he won't have a fair shot. I have a question for Andrew. So Andrew, you know that this question is going to come at some point, but I might as well just ask it here up on our spaces since you're here on a Sunday. If RFK Jr. doesn't get a fair shot and if RFK Jr., there is no primary in the Democratic Party and he looks for a home, is Forward Party going to open up your arms and say, you know what, you have a, you have a place with us? Oh, uh, so we've already spoken about how, uh, like, there aren't going to be debates. Uh, the primaries aren't going to be covered uh, in, in the same way. Um, so I, I don't think there is going to be much of a process on that side unless something very, very dramatically changes. 
in in terms of what's next for various candidates, and by the way, I think there are going to be some Republicans who feel the same way. Uh, the major effort uh, right now is through an organization called No Labels that has is spending uh, $50 million on ballot access. I think they have it in five or six states now. Uh, and they're, and this is public, so I'm not spilling any beans, but like they're, they're exploring uh, a possibility of running a Republican and a Democrat together, um, or a Democrat and Republican, some combination. Um, so the mechanics of running a presidential candidate is that you need ballot access on a party line. Um, so the, this question is uh, suggestive of the forward party. So those of you who don't know, um, I am the co-chair of uh, the one of the most prominent uh, third parties in the country now. I think we might even be number three by resources, though I joke all the time there's a very steep drop-off between two and three. <laughs> um, but I, I'll be frank and say we're not looking at the presidential and, and we won't have ballot access in all 50 states by 2024. So uh, to the extent that someone wants to run as an independent, uh, they would either need to team up with no labels or they would need to be getting ballot access like immediately which has a cost typically uh, of, let's say, tens of millions of dollars. And even if you have the money, in some cases, the money's not enough because you need some time as well. Um, and Andrew, just to, uh, just to jump on that question, to ask an additional question. If, hypothetically, he does get screwed over by the Democratic Party, which is highly likely, and he was to run as an independent, who would he take the votes from? Like, do you think he'd take votes from Trump or do you think he'd take a, a vote from Biden? Well, uh, again, in practical terms, like it, it would probably depend largely upon uh, what ballot line he's under. So if you look at what's going to happen in the general in 2024, um, I believe that uh, you're going to see like uh, uh, no labels line. If the, if like, I mean, they'll, they will have procured the line. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Um, you're going to see a libertarian line. Uh, you're going to see a green line in like, you know, 37 or 38 states. So I think who he takes votes from uh, is largely dependent upon what party line he's standing with and who his running mate is and his messaging thereafter. I think most of us listening to this, by the way, right now, think he is going to get shafted uh, by the, the DNC. Um, Marianne Williamson will probably feel the same way. Um, and, and so, you know, and you're going to.